What role should our supply chains play in promoting diversity and social responsibility? How did one large retailer make the transition into a major omni-channel player? How can our supply chains reduce risk and still have greater resiliency? And shippers are finding creative methods for delivering their packages on time. Pull up a chair and join us as the editors of DC Velocity and CSEMP's Supply Chain Quarterly discuss these topics on this week's Logistics Matters podcast. Hi, I'm Dave Maloney. I'm the Editorial Director at DC Velocity and Supply Chain Quarterly. Welcome. Logistics Matters is sponsored by DCVTV. Five channels of streaming video are yours for the viewing on DCVTV. Major improvements have recently been made to the DCVTV platform to enhance the viewing experience, provide greater search capabilities, and to expand the capacity of the video library well beyond the 3,000 plus videos already in the archives. Be sure to check it all out at dcvtv.com. We're going to do something a bit different on this week's podcast. As many of you know, the Council of Supply Chain Management Professionals held their EDGE conference virtually this week. CSCMP EDGE is always one of the most important supply chain conferences within the industry, and our editors were there in full force again this year, of course, virtually this time. And we were speaking at the sessions, attending sessions, reporting on sessions, and visiting the virtual exhibits in the supply chain exchange area. It was a good week with a lot of takeaways, which we reported on in our daily news feeds. So joining me today are four of our editors to take part in a roundtable discussion on what we all experienced at EDGE. Our illustrious editorial panel includes Susan Lacefield, the executive editor of CSEMP's Supply Chain Quarterly, Diane Rand, the managing editor of Supply Chain Quarterly, and from DC Velocity, Victoria Kickham, senior editor, and Ben Ames, senior news editor. Welcome to all of you. First of all, Susan, I'd like to ask you, you're the executive editor of CSEMP's Supply Chain Quarterly, which is the official magazine of the organization. What were your general impressions of the conference this year? Well, Dave, uh, thanks for having me on. I think the first thing to keep in mind about the EDGE conference this year is not only was this the first time that CSEMP had ever done a virtual conference like this before, but it was also the first time that anyone in this space has done something on this scale in, um, in, the, in the virtual space. And um, over 100 educational sessions, 70 virtual booths with um, vendors um, from across the supply chain field, and I think I heard something around 2,400 registrants. So although there might have been some technical hiccups here and there, which you would expect at any conference, the fact that for the most part that the conference went off fairly smoothly, I feel is a, a massive achievement for CSCMP. They did pull it off quite well. And it, as you mentioned, there were a number of things included in that, and among them were keynote addresses. And Victoria, you covered a number of those. How did that work in the virtual environment? Yeah, thanks, Dave. Thanks for having me. I agree with Susan completely. And what struck me was, you know, it was the same quality of speaker and sort of variety of formats that you're um, that you typically see at at Edge. Um, the first day featured you know, sort of a motivational um, presentation. Second day was a one-on-one -on -one interview with a supply chain executive, and the third day featured more of a panel discussion. So it was really, um, I was impressed with the variety and, again, the quality of the speakers. And Diane, you've gone to a number of the sessions. As we said, there were over 100 sessions overall, educational sessions. It was a bit different than attending them in person, but what did you experience, Diane? I really was impressed by the setup. 
I thought it was uh, laid out really nicely. Elastic Solutions did a good job making you feel like you were at the convention center. It was easy to find the educational halls and the sessions and uh, everything went off without a hitch for me in terms of getting to the sessions that I needed to go to. In fact, I really enjoyed that the virtual experience allowed us, if there were a couple sessions were on at the same time, I could go back and listen um, later and go back to the library and, and still get those good quality sessions and listen to the speakers. It, it, was, it was a good environment. Yeah, and the sessions were grouped into tracks as they normally are at the live conference, the in-person conference. But in this environment, it also made it very easy to find your way around and navigate through that uh, that kind of an arrangement, correct? That's correct, yes. It was pretty easy to find what you were looking for, and there was a wonderful chat function. If you got lost, someone was there to help you. And Ben, you spent some time in the Supply Chain Exchange, a virtual version this year of the exhibit hall. What are your thoughts of those experiences? Uh, that's right, Dave. Uh, it, 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 there were some new approaches uh, as there were in the other sections of this show for all of us. Uh, but one thing that I found uh, sort of helpful about that uh, was that instead of having one sprawling exhibit hall, uh, it was divided into uh, four basic areas. Uh, there was fulfillment and robotics, uh, professional organizations and education, transportation and logistics, and technology. And so each of those um, sort of split off rooms had a dozen or two dozen uh, different companies in it with uh, digital virtual booths that you could visit and click on. Uh, but once you'd chosen one, uh, each booth had a, a real range of resources to choose from if you wanted to learn more. Uh, for example, you could download your choice of a couple different white papers. Um, you could click on links to different part of the vendor's website. Uh, or you could open a chat window and connect with a live representative from the company if you wanted to ask real-time questions through your keyboard. So uh, there, there was a, a real range of ways to interface. And a number of the vendors also had really good videos that were produced for the conference, and I thought those were good and gave a quick overview of the company and some of their capabilities. Exactly right. Yep, it, it was really a multimedia experience. Great. Now let's talk about some of the topics and the trends that came out of the conference. And Diane, you attended a keynote session on Wednesday on social responsibility and diversity in the supply chain. What was discussed? Well, as expected, the pandemic was front and center during the conference uh, keynotes and sessions this week. Our world certainly looks and feels different, yet COVID is not the only dynamic impacting individuals, companies, and supply chains. In the U.S., we're experiencing a renewed focus on racial injustices and dealing with heightened political polarization. It's not, you know, strictly about business anymore. The keynote on the last day of the conference included a diverse panel of experts representing academia, retailers, and shippers. They spoke about the how the impacts of COVID and civil unrest have changed their businesses and leadership styles. On the business side, these crises have given these leaders the opportunity to certainly learn more about their organizations and become better listeners, while the customer experience and in the case of higher education, the student experience are still extremely important. The physical and mental well-being of their staff has taken a front seat. The panelists spoke about how critical it is to not just listen, but to take actions. What actions did the panelists say they're taking to address the COVID crisis and work toward achieving social justice? Well, many companies have established wellness centers and also utilized anonymous forums to give staff and employees a chance to address their concerns. 
uh, focusing on not only the physical but mental well-being has become paramount. I liked what Angie Freeman from CH Robinson said. She she mentioned as leaders, we are starting to flex our EQ, so emotional IQ muscles, by being more vulnerable with our team members, modeling healthy behavior, and just being human. Where it used to be work versus life balance, now we are seeing that that all blend together. Flexibility was a word I heard many times during the session. To address the need for their businesses to be more diverse and inclusive, the panelists mentioned that their companies are not only increasing financial support for racial and gender equality organizations, they are forming social and racial justice programs and focusing heavily on education within their organizations. Terry Esper, who is a professor at The Ohio State University, he talked about the need for higher education institutions to focus on cognitive diversity. So if you can see it, you can be it. That means more diversity in the racial makeup of professors to help attract diverse students into the industry. As we all know, academia is uh, the talent pipeline for supply chains. So he noted that young people today are not just asking him about certain companies and what their supply chains are like and what their work environment is like. They wanna know what these companies stand for, how fair and equitable is the company. They don't just wanna see the statement a company puts out, about racial injustice. They want to see what money is being invested to stand behind their statements. Certainly important topics for our supply chains to address. Thank you, Diane. And Susan, one of the sessions that you reported on was creating a more resilient supply chain. What did you learn? Yes, thanks, Dave. Um, so like Diane said, COVID-19 was really front and center at the conference. And in that sort of environment, it's hard to hold a conference these days about supply chain and not talk about risk management and resiliency. Um, this panel discussion was really great because it provided a variety of perspectives on the subject from academia to protect practitioners, consultants, and analysts. And one of the main points that was made during the session um, was made by Simon Ellis, who works over at IDC, is that a lot of people talk about how important visibility into your supply chain is as far as resiliency. but um, visibility doesn't really help if you can't act on them what you see. Simon said that he had talked to a number of companies in the last six months that said they could, during the pandemic, they could see what was happening in their supply chain, um, you know, maybe past the tier one supplier level, but they couldn't do anything about it. And they basically just sat there and watched um, their supply chain unravel. Did the panelists have any idea for how companies can make sure that they act in response to risks that they see? Yeah, there was a lot of answers that fall into the category of easy to say, but hard to do. Um, some of the basic things that uh, they talked about were uh, making sure that you have a, a risk management plan and a crisis management team identified before a risk e ever even happens. And a good point that Rod Haddock from the Coca-Cola company made is that it's it's not necessary for the plan to be a perfect match for the risk that evolves. Um, Coca-Cola didn't have a pandemic risk management plan before this year, but at least not in North America. But the company found that their um, crisis plan for hurricanes actually provided a good framework for how they responded to the pandemic. And that's because one of the main challenges Coca-Cola had um, as the pandemic happened and all the shutdowns started to occur is that it radically changed where consumers were getting 
their beverages from. So they were, no people were no longer drinking their Diet Coke or their Dasani bottled water at out of house locations or restaurants. Instead, that demand shifted majorly to grocery retail. And that same pattern happens after a hurricane. So they were able to apply their plan for hurricanes to the situation they were seeing on the ground during the pandemic. Mm, that's very interesting that they were able to adapt that way. Yes, you're right. And Victoria, you wrote about one of the keynote speakers, Arthur Valdez Jr. from Target, who addressed his company's transition into a major e-commerce player. Can you share what he said? Sure. Um, so Arthur Valdez Jr. leads um, Target supply chain and logistics operations, and he was uh, the keynote on day two. And it was a wide-ranging interview conducted by CSCMP's Rick Blasgen. And I thought there were a few key takeaways from the many things they discussed. First, uh, Valdez touched on Target's transition to using its stores as local fulfillment hubs. And those hubs accommodate guests, which is how Target refers to customers, no matter how they want to interact with Target in person, via delivery, curbside pickup. And this is a complete turnaround from where the company was even just a few years ago. Uh, they were running a traditional brick and mortar operation with an e-commerce side business. So he talked a lot about how they had to focus on integrating those operations uh, to become, as you say, an omni-channel uh, business leader. The second thing that I thought was really interesting echoes what Diane was mentioning earlier. Uh, Valdez talked about um, diversity and inclusion and how important that is to him and to both the supply chain and the larger business community. Um, he's the son of Mexican-American and Cuban parents and was the first in his family to go to college. Uh, he graduated from Colorado State University, and today he and his wife sponsor a scholarship there for minority students that he says is part of a larger effort um, on his part to mentor and develop young talent. Uh, he's involved with similar efforts at Target as well. So I thought it was um, you know, really interesting and important to point that out. That's great. Uh, did, did he offer any insight on developing that talent or why the supply chain makes a good career opportunity? for these students? Yeah, uh, he didn't talk specifically about talent development, but he did mention the growing value of a supply chain education and background in today's business world. And this is driven largely by the pandemic and the fact that supply chain has really been front and center in the news and, and really in our daily lives since March. Um, and uh, he predicted there will be a greater need for supply chain skills at the highest corporate levels going forward. And he even said that he expects more CEOs to have a, a, supply, cha a supply chain background in the future. Um, and I thought that was a really great message for the audience, obviously, the professionals in the audience, but also the many students and young professionals in the audience. It really kind of talks, speaks to them about, uh, what, about uh, what may be ahead. Yeah, it really does. Thank you, Victoria. Mm -hmm. You're welcome. And Ben, you attended a session on how shippers can make sure that their e-commerce parcels are getting delivered to consumers, even though the pandemic has caused a capacity crunch in the trucking sector. Can you share what was said? That's right, Dave. This was a really interesting one, and uh, it echoes some of Susan's points uh, that some of the impact of the pandemic has been really comparable to a natural disaster, so some of the other um, examples that we've seen in the past. And in the case of the North American trucking sector, um, the panelists were talking about uh, how the limitations of uh, COVID-19 uh, and social distancing and increased uh, hygiene have pushed many carriers um, to be in a position where they're receiving more parcels than their networks can handle. So uh, they're often limiting the number of parcels that they're willing to accept from even their largest shippers. Uh, another sign of that pressure is a, a new round of rate hikes and surcharges that we've seen in recent weeks imposed by uh, what people call the big three carriers. That's the US Postal Service, uh, UPS, and FedEx. 
Um, and that, that was a point that was made by Carson Krieg, uh, who's a co-founder at Convey. That's a software firm that makes parcel delivery uh, visibility software. Did the panelists have any ideas for ways that shippers can manage that type market and make sure that their parcels get delivered? They did, and uh, th th this was uh, some of the really interesting part of the uh, panel there. Um, they're getting very creative in, in the, the, their ways to approach that because even though some of the carriers have adopted a take it or leave it attitude uh, about the rates that they charge, uh, sometimes increased rates, um, it turns out that shippers, they can change other variables to make their loads more attractive. For example, one company has begun allowing its customers to ship their orders to what they call centralized hold for pickup locations which are urban parcel lockers where multiple packages can be held in a single location. So delivery trucks can make a single stop instead of visiting 20 different uh, consumers' houses for uh, individual home delivery. Uh, and, and that was according to Wayne McGregor, who's the director of logistics at Indigo Books and Music, which is one of the major uh, Canadian retailers. Uh, and he also said uh, that other strategies uh, that his company is using include diversifying the number of carriers they use. Uh, in past years, uh, they had uh, unified their volume in order to get better rates, uh, but now they're looking to split those up a little bit across a number of different carriers uh, because it provides them with a, a backup in case of some of those conditions that we were talking about earlier. Uh, and thirdly, McGregor gave another example that uh, his company offers to sometimes commit some of its B2B, that's business-to-business -business, uh, shipping volume to carriers, uh, instead of just trying to uh, arrange uh, business-to-consumer shipments. Because uh, truck fleets, they typically make more money off B2B shipments uh, because they're carrying a larger uh, amount of uh, freight from point A to point B, and they don't have to make all those stops. Well, that's very interesting. Thank you, Ben. And we want to remind folks that the entire EDGE conference will continue to be available for the next 90 days, which is an added benefit this year in being virtual. Gives attendees an opportunity to see the sessions, like Diane had mentioned earlier, that they might have missed. So you can go back and you can access the various sessions by registering for the conference if you haven't done so already. Go to cscmp.org to register for the conference. And just look for the EDGE 2020 tab at that site. Our thanks again to Ben, Diane, Victoria, and Susan for comprising our editorial panel today. For more information on the stories we discussed, please go to dcvelocity.com and supplychainquarterly.com. And we encourage your feedback on our discussion. You can email us at podcast at dcvelocity.com. And a reminder that Logistics Matters is sponsored by DCVTV. Be sure to check out the latest videos on dcvtv.com the largest and best source of videos for the supply chain industry, including DCV TV Channel 4. This viewer-contributed channel includes hundreds of videos that DC Velocity readers and industry suppliers have uploaded directly to the channel. Stop by often to see the latest uploads. Go to dcvtv.com to view them. We encourage you to subscribe to Logistics Matters on Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and now on Apple Music, too. But wherever you get your podcasts, to search for Logistics Matters to find us. Our new episodes are uploaded each Friday. We will be back again next week with another edition of Logistics Matters when our guest will be Ron Dutt of Flux Power to discuss the advancing battery technologies. Be sure to join us. Until then, please stay safe and have a great week. <music>